Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening, Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Anthony Ingram, and I am joined today by acclaimed author and poet, Amy Jean. Amy's newest book is A Step Back, which is the third book in her artistic series, Sidesteps. In this series, she investigates and challenges the definitions of words like love, weight, face, truth, and time. Readers embark on a self-discovery journey that critically yet playfully analyzes truths. This dreamlike memoir becomes an immersive experience that covers everything from heartbreak to parenthood, sanity, and religion. Anyone who feels misunderstood or cast aside can relate to a step back. By further exploring her past, she seeks a vibrant, independent future. Amy's ultimate conclusion is one of hopeful new beginning. Hello, Amy. It's a pleasure to talk with you today. Hello, Michael. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're more than welcome. What inspired you to write this book? Well, I um, had some major changes in my life about 13 years ago that uh, started me writing. And I initially wrote two volumes of my memoir and found that poetry is, is what I really have a passion for. I love writing poetry and I love just thinking about words and playing, playing with words and rhythm. And I started writing um, the sidestep series just as sort of a, a therapeutic way to, to get my anger out. And not only that, to express also joy and hopeful things that I was seeing um, in dreams, visions, and just in the world in general. Um, and the step back one uh, is my most recent. I wrote that uh, in 2020. And it's really just um, after you go through a lot of things, a certain point in your life, just kind of looking back at where you've been and reflecting on it is, is helpful, I think, for growth and sort of self-evolvement um, to move forward, you know, with, with more hope um, and, and more passion for a better world and, and for a better self. Very nice. For a better world and a better self. I like that. What was an early experience where you learned that poetic language and prose had power? Oh, gosh, an early experience. You know, funny enough, I just found um, a, a piece of uh, artwork that I did when I was a child, and I had a little poem on it uh, that I wrote for my parents in school. Mm. And I didn't even realize that I was doing poetry at a young age. I thought this is something, you know, new that I've done. But again, as as we start to reflect on things, I think you kind of see um, that that life kind of binds together at a certain point. And, and I was doing those things at a young age and, and didn't even realize it. Um, it looks like for my handwriting, I must have been, I don't know, seven or eight, just learning how, oh, wow. how to write and form, form words. And it's a little hard. It looks like a Valentine thing I wrote for my parents. And it says, dear mom and dad, the world would be, a nicer place if everyone knew the happiness of having a mom and dad like you. So may this special picture bring joy in every way. 
for two wonderful parents who mean so much each day. <laughs> so I brought that home oh, for wow. school one day. And uh, funny enough, I didn't remember writing it, just having moved recently. You know, you dig through all your old boxes and, and come yeah. across some of these neat treasures, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, very nice. Hopefully you plan to, to share other poems during this time, our time together. I do. I have a bunch here to share. So. Okay. <laughs> That's great. I like that. I like that. Now, do you come from a literary background? No, not at all. I um went to school for business, focused kind of on finance and also psychology. I went to the University of Pittsburgh and, and graduated with a dual major in business and psychology and honestly spent most of my life thinking numbers was was something I enjoyed and was more passionate about. Um, didn't spend a lot of time writing or reading, honestly. I was not focused on that at all. Uh, my mom, though, was an elementary school teacher, so at a young age, of course, she had us reading and read a lot of books to us, and um, that was her background. But All right. Amy, please share a poem. All right. I'll share this one. Two of my sons got married this past summer, and I wrote them oh, each fantastic. poem. Yeah, these poems are in a step back. I wrote um, each of them a poem for their wedding. This one is for my youngest son and his wife. It's called A Sacred Union. A joyful event, it's heaven's scent, a sacred union, a new beginning. Loved ones join in for an enchanting day to celebrate the beginning of the couple's new way. How they dress details their personalities for the guests, who sit in rows while couples disclose vows of dedication, declaring mutual admiration for a future they have planned and their love at hand. Two become one, in perfect unity they meet, Love and faithfulness bound, a divine partnership now found. There may be a ring to signify these things, but in the end, that's all pretend, because what truly matters is what happens after. With loyalty and patience, the union goes strong amid passion and commitment. Everybody knows the two will stay joined through all highs and all lows. The strength of their love is easily seen by the exchange of tender glances, disclosing how love advances to a future enchanted. Outside pressures will never cause them to depart from their start because the strength of their bond is everlasting, God's art. But the little details bring joy to the day. Petals scattered, the arrangements on the table, the flowers the bride carries, the array of platters, a little bling and maybe some sparkly things. The music, the dancing, the boisterous laughter confirms the couple will be sought after. The photos you take, oh, the impact they make. As the years pass by, you can remember all the whys. You put so much effort into a commencing event. Bound together, inseparable from the start, a new path to walk with your favorite to talk about things little and big and everything you would give to do it again if in the end it was still with them. The specifics won't impact the future or alter the couple's next chapter but to a dreamer oh how they matter this is the beginning of true love happily ever after that was beautiful amy thank you i really i really like that now do you sit and think through every word of every stanza or do you write freely and allow the words to flow um it depends some of my work just comes to me all at once and it flows. 
and I'll even get up in the middle of the night and have to write it down or email myself, you know, jot it down. Um, And and then other work, I have an idea, and I will sit there and struggle over every word and put it together and revise, revise, revise. So it, it just it depends. Both ways. Now, did you state that both of your both of your sons married this summer? Yes, two of my three sons. I have three, so oh, I, I wrote another right. one. Yeah, I wrote. Yes. I wrote one. I'll read you. The other one's a little bit shorter, but this one is called Love Celebrations, and this was for my oldest son and his his bride. They got married up in uh, Hoboken, uh, New Jersey, uh, back in June. So it's called Love Celebrations. Beautiful connections, heartfelt confessions of never-ending obsession, enduring unions that inspire the desire to capture passion, an unending attraction, love celebrations. Devotions that last through every commotion, all trials, rough miles, and still make each other smile. The one in the end where you never have to pretend to be something you're not. You confess you've been caught, maybe at first sight or after the chase. But in the end, it doesn't matter who won the race because nothing compares to true love's embrace. Wow. So that was theirs. Nothing compares to true love's embrace. I agree with that 100%. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful <laughs> you know, thing. So. It is. <laughs> All great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours and what makes them special in your eyes? Oh, gosh. You know, I would like to say that I have some great influence, but I can't. Is that an odd thing? Okay. Um, I can't say that I was well-read when I started writing this. This writing comes from dreams, from visions, um, and I guess revelation. Um, I guess there are a lot of my writing, maybe from scripture, mm-hmm. where my ideas come from. Um, I would say a couple people that I like uh, to read would be Edgar Allan Poe, Edna St. Vincent Millay. Um, I don't know. It's more from my own dreams and visions that my words come. <laughs> so I understand. Well, let me ask this question. You know, as you stated in your book, you cover a wide range of topics. One of the biggest is self-discovery. Why is self-exploration important? Well, I think that self-exploration is extremely important because History keeps repeating, and I think self-discovery is mind-opening and also future-altering. So the more we can discover and uncover our own truth and history and where we've been, the better ability we are going to have to change the future as a whole, as a family, you know, on this journey together. Um, so I think self-discovery is critical. What have, we, what have we done right? What have we done wrong? Why did we do it? And what can we do better to make the future brighter for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren? You know, it's funny. Self-discovery and or self-exploration can be so painful at times. How do you feel about that? <laughs> yes, I think it's very painful. Um, 
as my sidestep books uh, point out, you know, I think all of my, I have such lucid dreams and such vivid visions um, of, of past and future. And a lot of my, you know, my initial sidestep book and the part two really, really talk a lot about, you know, part one talks a lot about um, sort of the wrongs that happened in the past and, and the present and, and, you know, various trajectories for the future. But, you know, the sidesteps part one, a lot of people ask me, where did that come from? And, and my explanation was if you took every woman that ever walked the earth in history and all time and rolled, rolled her all the way back, this is kind of how she would feel about the way she's been treated. <laughs> so okay. there's a lot of okay. know, anger and it's not, not always necessarily my personal feelings, but, um, but woman as a whole. You know, and then and then sidesteps part two kind of talks about society as a whole, um, which brings me to one of my son's favorite poems, and I would love to share this with you. It's a mouthful, but I I wrote this um, poem called Extinction, and it was interesting. I started writing this from a dream, things that I saw in a dream. I started writing this and noticed that I was using a lot of words ended in T-I-O-N. So I just Googled T-I-O-N words, and I thought I'm going to write this poem and use as many words as I can that okay. have that, that ending. So it's a mouthful to read, but, you know, not necessarily one of my favorite, but the, my, uh, my son thinks this is one of my best poems. So I'd love to share this. It's called Extinction, and this is from um, Sidestep Terrorizing Soundbites Part 2, Some Things Are Black and White. Our species has earned the dishonored distinction of pointing directly en route to extinction. Our attention focused on false attractions, leaving us lacking affection for the salient things that bring authentic satisfaction. Our rationalization and preoccupation with the appreciation of material belongings polluted humanity with disinformation. This disorientation created a predisposition towards automation and wealth accumulation bringing about overstimulation, which resulted in a poverty of authentic facing communication, leaving many in a state of isolation. Political organizations' inclination towards domination spurred a lack of concern for the civilization that elected them for protection. Often using manipulation, many find justification in their exploitation of human relations. Their misconception that their contribution entitles them to an excessive proportion of what God gifted for distribution, leaving left many poverty-stricken. Institutions ignoring restrictions and causing frustration among the population and the failure to see the interconnection of all humankind led to the degradation of now-colonized nations. What started as God's perfect creations are now riddled with degenerate manifestations brought about by synthetic infiltration. These complications cause tragic ramifications on subsequent generations for numerous iterations. Contemplation of what turned into a complex orchestration led to the magnification of resulting imperfections. The germination of a contamination was the fruit of centuries of reflection and creation of a superinfection, illuminating the necessary modifications required for the regeneration of a declining population. The information gathered provided a route to the re reconstruction and preservation of every single nation. 
the undying determination for universal purification prompted investigations, justifications, and recommendations culminating in confirmation. Successful identification of powerful resolutions to eradicate the noxious intrusions will lead to the liberation of every single nation. Then redistribution of excessive collections to level the endowments holding many in circumscription, along with retribution for those knowingly inflicting destruction on others for personal glorification. Finally, reconciliation of opposing nations followed by recognition and appreciation of all participating in the resurrection of civilization and the discontinuation of discrimination, corruption, maldistribution, non-intervention, degeneration, malnutrition, dehydration, segregation, overconsumption, exploitation, family separation, colonization, manipulation, strangulation, contamination, traumatization, stigmatization, extortion, and please, we must end the deflation of innocent nations. (laughs) So that's a mouthful. That's, that's a mouthful, but it's it's like a it's a compilation of a bunch of stuff that that I visualized in my dreams, and also just just my observance of, of things going on. Well, I, I think you've already answered this question, but what do you view as being the role of a poet in modern day society? I, to me, it's wrapped up in your poem. Yeah, I think. I think the beauty of poetry over prose, and I I do have two volumes of my memoir, which has a lot of prose in it. And I know that there's quite a bit in A Step Back that's just, uh, you know, conversation as opposed to poetry. But the beauty of poetry is that it lets people contemplate meaning. It sometimes offers double meaning. And it also gives people a chance to expand their own minds. Um, there's a openness and a beauty in poetry that that I think we don't see in other types of writing. Now, do you think that someone can be a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Mm, no, I think poetry definitely has, you need to have strong emotions. I think it's hard to write poetry if you don't feel. If you don't feel. Beautifully stated. Now, does writing energize or exhaust you? Um, it energizes me. Tell me more. Um, yeah, I get so into it that I literally have to force myself to stop. I just feel like I could keep right on rolling. <laughs> it excites me. I really okay. love. I, I love words. I love wordplay. Um, I know a lot of people. You know, I submitted some of my poems to I can't remember what, and they were like, "It's it's too lyrical, too rhythmic." Um, but I, I love music. I find music sort of medicinal, relaxing, calming, and the same thing with poetry. Now, when I was writing my memoir, that felt like more of a dream because it was, you know, a lot of rules and trying to make sure I'm explaining things exactly right. And the beauty of poetry is if you're, if you're blending in dreams and emotions and, and visions or revelations, you can you can hint at something that doesn't necessarily have precise words to explain. It leaves a lot of doors open, poetry. Yes, it does. It does. Now, in your book, you write about interpretations of sanity. Tell me more about that. (laughs) Sure. 
Um, so, yeah, I call it um, fantastic. And my interpretation of sanity is that, you know, there's, there's different planes of existence. And depending on where you're at, what seems sane to you or insane to you may not be for someone else. So um, I think it's, it's hard to judge because we are living in a multidimensional universe on different planes of existence on this, this family journey or this, this family rebirth. And people who don't understand that, that might sound insane. If you see here and understand things that other people do not, that time is not linear, that, that, and I'm sure you got a, a feel for that reading the book, then yes. what is sane to you is going to seem insane to other people. And so that's why I call it, I call it fantasticity. You know, I started about 13 years ago. I had some very um, powerful mystical experiences start to happen to me. The veil was lifted from scripture. I started to understand that. And it was like pulling all these pieces together um, in my mind and the things that the conclusions I was coming to were outside the reality of many people around me. And so the things I was, that I was saying or understanding or seeing did not seem sane. But, you know, just because somebody doesn't see, hear, or understand what you do does not make you wrong. It may just may be that they are uninformed. <laughs> That's the conclusion I came to. Yeah. Well, please share another poem. Please share another poem. Okay, sure. Let's see. Let's go to this one. It's called My Garden. And this is from a book called The Long Stretch, which it's not available right now. It was a Christmas present to my family and friends. And um, it has a lot of beautiful photography, free photography from a website called Unsplash, where you can use their, their work. Um, and this is called My Garden. The garden I made has a few places of shade. Tall trees cast shadows to protect fragile plants that can't handle the rays, the sun blasts. The shade plants mostly green. It's hard for them to be seen without the growth the sun brings. Big flowers full of color, bold in many hues. It makes me sad for the others who go on without a clue. Because color makes the garden desired by almost every buyer who wants to view all the beautiful hues covered in dew. Red, blue, and pink, I understand how they think. Yellow in spring is a fabulous thing, sparking new growth and the outcome all want most. A long stem with glorious bloom, opening majestically was always the flower's destiny. The plants in the shade need watered some more before the color within them can be born. I am confident they have a vibrant future in store. I think I will cut back a branch of that tree so everyone can see how spectacular they become with just a little bit of sun. Mm. I like that. You've written you. five books? Five books? Let's see. Two. I have two books of my memoir and, well, published. I've published seven. Two books of my memoir. And the first volume of my memoir also has an insight journal that goes okay. along with it. Um, and basically both of the volumes of my memoir have um, scripture that go along with each chapter. 
And so that scripture is in the Insight Journal just for people, again, to reflect um, their own life and that scripture and how that may help them evolve. Um, And then I have four published books of poetry, and I'm working on actually two more right now. So. Oh, wow. Very nice. As you think about the entire body of work, your entire body of work, what do you view as being the most difficult part of the artistic process? Um, the most difficult part of the artistic process really is, it's not even really writing the poetry for me, but it's getting it all on the pages and getting it laid out properly the editing part, just making sure all of those little details. The writing part I find exhilarating, particularly for the poetry and fun, but sort of going back and looking and making sure that you have all the words on the page right, that it looks right, and you have that, that's the hardest part for me. And I have a great um, illustrator and designer, Eric Savage, who does a lot, all the illustrations that are in my books and the layout. Um, but those small details are, are what I struggle with. But. All right, all right, all right. Now, you've written four that have been published. How do you handle a bad review of your work, if there are ever any? Oh, there are some. In fact, I think I talk about it and step back. Um, one woman who said um, that, you know, my book, the sidestep book was, uh, you know, if you want to hear angry woman hear me roar, brashness, you know, read this book, but she feels there's, you know, better books that have better love stories. And, and I'm okay with that. I mean, I think that if we don't take, if we can't take criticism, then we can't improve. Right. Um, And I think too, like I say, I think she misunderstood the point of, of the book. I mean, I've, I've only ever been treated well by the men in my life, (laughs) you know, so it's not, it's not that like that. I said it wasn't really my experience per se, but more of collective woman as a whole just is what I was looking at. Um, but yeah, I think criticism is good. In fact, on, on some of my reviews, I, I chose, you know, a four star review to post or a three star review to post instead of the five star, because I thought that their feedback was more articulate. It gave me more to work with it seemed more intelligent. They really thought about it and thought, well, this could be better or this could be better or this should have gone first or this. So yeah, I appreciate hearing. I like this or I like that. I mean, I I wrote my memoir and people kind of said, well, that's nice, but you're really more of a poet. You know, you should focus Mm. on that. And so I did. (laughs) So I wrote, Mm -hmm. I initially had planned to write, write four volumes of memoir. And actually I wrote the third one. I just stopped, you know, I just stopped working on it because, because I, the feedback I was getting was you're really better at writing poetry than prose. And so that's kind of where I've focused my attention recently. You know, it's funny. Some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much else you can do to correct or improve it. While others edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? Um, I think once I write it, I leave it. If I'm going to labor over it, I'm going to labor over it first and then, and then print it. But I've actually, um, and I can't remember what it was. I think it might've been one of Edgar Allan Poe's um, 
poems called Dreams. And I, <laughs> when I was writing my Dreams poem, I was reading his, and I, I looked at it and thought, well, I would change this one line just because that would be a better dream for him or a better story for him. But no, I think if somebody writes that that poem, that's how they they feel in the moment, and it might spark an idea for them to write something else. I mean, if I was going to write into somebody else's poem or dream into someone else's dream, I would I would dream it better. I would make it brighter. Um, but I think the express expression of how you feel in the moment is is great. And then if something changes, then you write something different. That's how we get so many books, right? It's true. Please share another poem. <laughs> okay. Okay, sure. Let's see. How about let me share something else from side step two. Um oh this one's fun. I I drink coffee, too much coffee, just because I okay. love the smell of I love the smell of coffee and I love the process of, of or the action of sitting and having a cup of coffee, whether it's by myself or while I'm writing a poem in the morning or if it's gathering with a friend to me, you know, it's a good reason to meet up with a friend and have a cup of coffee and chat and catch up. So this poem is called the grind. And this is out of um, five steps, terrorizing sound bites part two. You lure me here. You lure me there to break my heart beyond repair. I don't know why I fall in line. It's not a life. It's a daily grind. A plunge to find aromas rich, a roast of beans to unhitch, weakened senses with a bit of a twitch. A misstep in the brew, a settled bitter taste, presses me to pour over sediments steeping in my mind around why I keep trying. I strain to contain longing, placing a lid on intensity, manual steps now a single serve. I find no rest, unable to filter strong concentration, brewing a bit of a bite to a losing fight. Thermal pressure seeds steam to rise, creating a spout and pouring about my undying affection for a robust connection. Now bolder than before, I contemplate milk to diffuse heat, cooling things down. But coffee's black to get me through, no cream, no sugar, no taste of you. After drinking down three or four, thoughts of you start dripping through. My heart races yearning for more, but time proves disappointment in store, leading me to an espresso nap where my heart slows its beat and fantasies percolate, generating heat, creating acceptance that my dreams can't be beat, an absolute confidence that this existence isn't for me. A rough course separates me from you. This reality won't do. I'm looking for a consistent hot temperature that evens things out, ensuring exquisite grounds to savor and a satisfying cup of joy from the perfect grind. The perfect grind. Yes. me I guess what surprised me the most about a step back or taking a step back is my um, two things number one my take on truth what I what I thought was true is not and that's sort of a shocking realization I think for anyone to come to right um, that time's not linear linear that this truth thing is what shocked me the most is is when you open your eyes and your mind is opened to see the truth, it's shocking how dumb we became. (laughs) You know, just truth. truth. I think it's shocking what the truths 
of the universe are, you know, that your promised land is in your head and that opening your mind and, and the things that, that I see in my visions that we're capable of doing are astounding. Um, so that's the most shocking. And then my, my dreams poem, I, I have to say this is probably one of my favorite poems. I've written a few more things on my website recently that are good, but this dream poem, dreams poem came to me in one of those floods where I really didn't have to alter it. And it's kind of a long poem, but it just came like that without any real work, you know, where my other poem, I had I, other poems. I've had to work a lot at getting the words right and the rhyme, right? This one just came straight to me. All right. So it's called dreams. Cold frozen land vomit home. Weaken to run, flee the past, hostility and hate degenerated our race. Did we make our escape? We left in haste, eyes closed in the dark, opening minds to dream. Ah, reverie. Let me get lost in thee. Let me hide where I can dream wide and far, far, far beyond every star, strong, others dim, few bright. Me, I prefer to shine light on those hidden too long, while the strong moved on taking all they gathered as if no one else mattered. Too many in one place, bad behavior embraced. Your brother and your sister all need a taste. Why would we leave so many in waste? A collection of things. What exactly did that bring? Another ride on the train, speeding by so many in pain. Shame, shame. A dream, a walk in your sleep, to see what you can see. What's there? The bank, the stream. Swimming against the rapids to multiply, gain esteem. Oh, the silly things some men and women dream. Dum-dum. A line to keep safe, regenerate, maintain. A groove in the fabric melted by heat to empty minds of worries better left behind. To undo so the new you comes through. Tethered together, a family journey through the dark, held and sustained by the ark. A highway fantasy, weaving dreams of two restless hearts. One love feeds the dream's fire, giving birth to love higher, a future that unfolds by bold, lonely souls. O oh, new heavens, O oh, new earth, what labor, what birth has transpired without woman? The egomaniac sustained no longer shall remain. What will you be when with a mother's eyes we see? Beauty and wonders outside of my realm, things I never dreamed, Sometimes, some things not yet seen. After giving birth to much new, <clears throat> imaginations fresh melt mother's heart. A baby's coo, a stretch like morning's dew. Little fists lifted high when mother sighs. Ah, when the future appears and the smoke screen clears, power restored and her days of being ignored have come to an end, finally. The outrage subsides when the little ones find that coming into being was not what they were seeing. Kept out of view the danger, the labor, and some words not meant for you giving birth, woo-hoo. A line of electricity sparking new thoughts, giving birth in hue to those traveling through darkness in an ancient, weary arc. The rain subsides, mother's arms open wide, lights and colors make bright everything that used to be black and white. Darn, we mend, it's the end of pretend. Thank God she was sent as a friend. All see the things she has dreamed and her children all weaned. She's not mean. A wheel in the sky, why? The light's dim. That can be pretty. A reflection in the river of a quiet city might offer some truth about the one who all thought was a biddy. This ride on a coaster moving through the dark in a freaking old ark. 
Is this a place to start a family? I dreamt, I dreamt life void of hell, all your shit and stinky smell, as if you're still babies with diaper and drool who believe you are making the rules, fools. Let's keep the sweet dreams and throw away the mean. Save Winnie the honey and Eeyore too. Piglet and Tigger already went through. Tigger bounced in, his energy a win. And Piglet's so cute, who can argue about him? Al flew by because she circles both sides of the divide. Then let's get back to my dreams and the future I see. This story started with two, a boy and a girl, who didn't know what they were getting into. Now all of you, we planned for a life without a ton of strife, love, simplicity, and passion fire, some time without the ramifications of childish games and earning fame. I stare through space to see your face, distant and unrecognizable now, strangers lost in the dark. Can we take two steps at a time to rediscover and find the oneness of love? Or must I continue to circle above, sustaining nasty children who are missing a glove? Some storms should not be weathered. I hear your reply. Cheer up, sleepy. Dream dreams of jeans and glass slippers that fit. A fantasy, a fairy tale as we wander the stream. Patience, but why? My dreams, love with no head games, no shame. A useful start where we never step apart. Are there dreams that cannot be? Not for me. I refuse to see what cannot be. Dream you to me, once unseen, will be three. A you, a me, and a we. I demand all three. Standing at a distance from our past existence, deja vu, me and you, a past that didn't last, you turned and walked away with someone who convinced you to stay. It must be a dream. You're late. It's now May 8th. Come home to me. Dream big. Take a dare, but only if you care. Dreams that leave worries behind. Your kiss, your touch, everything, everything. Yes, I said everything I see now is of us. My thoughts and dreams scattered because family matters. Shattered dreams, your goodbye, my cry, our pain was all in vain. Time rolling forward to the future. Women and men with granite eyes now revered. Collections disappear when one love becomes clear. No more scorn, no more stars. They become distant and far. Things of the past at last. And so we dream until time has gone by. Then all will see that the things of dreams can, in fact, be. Wow. Extremely powerful and profound. Yeah. As you think about it's a very exciting. Think, it's true. <laughs> as you think about your readers, what piece of advice would you give them? Um, I guess it would depend in regards to what, but I think that okay. one of the most important two, I guess, two important things. Um, number one is understanding what your passion is. I think that a lot of people chase money instead of passion. And I think if you chase your passion, your life is going to be happier, number one. And I think chasing your passion will open your mind. Um, It will give you purpose. I think you need passion and purpose. And it will also make you a kinder, gentle, more giving and understanding, compassionate human being. Because if you're happy with yourself and you have things in your life that you love, it's easier to find people and communities that you can fit into. Um, and and the writing poetry is, is my passion. I, I like doing it. I'm having fun, and I like a lot of other things, but I'm, I'm passionate about 
writing this and I do this and it sort of helps me pull myself together for the day and, and go do other things. Right. I guess I was thinking maybe another is that it's important to pay attention to your dreams. Oh yes, absolutely. I think dreams, um, absolutely powerful and, and probably have more meaning than many understood in the past. So yes, my dreams are very lucid and real. So where can readers find your work? Uh, my work is on my website. It's amygene.live. It's also, I've seen all my books on Amazon, Target Online, Walmart Online, Barnes & Noble, uh, all those places have my work. Well, my final question is, what is in the works next for you? Well, I have two books of poetry that I'm working on right now. One is, um, it's a little spiral-bound flip book, and if you read it from one side, it's called Sediments, A Few Remaining Dark Thoughts, and I have just some funny little poems in there and some little kind of stick figures. And if you flip it over and read it from the other side, it's called Petrichor, which is sort of that smell, that refreshing smell after the rain, like when rain hits the dry earth that refreshing smell that you get after that. And then the other book that I'm working on is called Glorious Heights Bring Joyful Delights, and it's kind of the other side of the sidestep, terrorizing sound bites. It's kind of like the after the rain, <laughs> the joy that comes after you've sort of, you know, rid yourself of, of all of this anger or things that, that bother you. Wow, very nice. Amy, I'd like to thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yes. Amy is a dreamer, a poet, a mother, and a writer with compelling stories to share. Pick up her books now. Thank you so much, Amy. Have a great day. All right. You do the same. Thank you. All right. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.